Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Jimmy, way to catch right in the act. This morning, I'm going to read the word for you and then be seated, and I'll, I'll tell you where to turn to in a minute. Uh, this morning's scripture ring is from Mark 1, starting in verse 14. May you hear the word of the Lord. So after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee and he was proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe in the good news. So as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to be fisher of people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when they had gone a little bit farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. They left their father in the boat, and they also left the hired men. Mark 1. Have a seat this morning. This morning is a choose your own adventure type morning, except for I'm actually going to choose the moment for you. Uh, I'm going to give you the adventure, and then I'm going to give you a chance to make an in the moment decision. Okay? So I'm going to present you with an opportunity. You have to vote what you would do in this opportunity. And uh, there's only one way you fail at this. And this is the same exercise as we discussed last week. The only way you fail at this exercise if you don't participate. So there is a moment that I'm going to tell you about. And then you're going to respond to. For this scenario to begin you must scratch what your regular occupation is in life in total. This morning, you are not whatever you came in here this morning. You are a firefighter. But you're not just any firefighter. You are a smoke jumper. That is, you are an elite firefighter. You are one that goes in, hops into very difficult places to put out fires for the rest of the world. We are all counting on you. Now, you parachute into hard-to-reach areas to actually extinguish fires. And due to your successful career, congratulations, your team has selected you to lead the team into the next assignment that you are being dispatched into. Now, you are being asked to go into the plains of Montana where there is a raging fire. Now, after dropping into the smoky region near the Missouri River, you and your team face a very harsh reality. After 30 minutes of hiking, you realize you are not going to defeat this fire. As a matter of fact, this fire has actually cut off all of your exit strategy. And your team is now looking to you in how to respond. Here's what you have. You have five jugs of water. You have a long rope. You have one tarp, three shovels, and a brownie. Yes, I said a brownie. You're in an open field with hills to your back 
in a line of trees about two football fields away. Your team now looks to you. What is the pivot plan in this moment? What will you tell your team they need to? Now, for some of you, I know that you have elite firefighter experience, but I'm going to give you some options this morning, okay? Just to keep the ball rolling here. You get to choose from one of these five, but remember, you got to vote on one of these five. All right, so here's your five options. First, you're going to tell your team to run to the high ground. We're going to retreat and we're going to go backwards. Option number two, you can dig a trench in between your team and the fire. Option number three, you can climb the closest trees. I hope you have climbing skills. Number four, you can run through, you can douse yourself in water with the water that you have and run through the flames. This sounds the boldest to me. Okay. And then the last one, you can Google how to survive a wildfire. I'm going to give you a second to discern. In a minute, I'm going to give you all these options and you have to vote by a raise of hand. Okay. The only way you fail is if you do not vote in this exercise. There's a team that is depending on you. Don't let them down. Yep. One of these five. All right, if you are option number one, I'm telling my team to run to the high ground. We have a couple people running to the high ground. Option number two, dig a trench. Okay, we like the trench. We are a trench church. Okay, that is good to know. That is good to know. I know what we're doing if I'm with you. Number three, climb the closest tree. Be bold, be loud, be proud. Okay, there's only one option that has judgment here. Okay, no tree takers. Number four, run through the flames. Okay, all right, Danny, I see you. Okay, here we go. Here we go. And number five, Google how to survive. You can't choose that option. You don't have Wi-Fi. We should know better than that. All right, so we're option number three. Climb the closest tree. Can I tell you this moment is not a made-up moment? <laughs> One of you just wanted to signal, I'm changing my option too. Thank you. Thank you. This is not a made-up moment. As a matter of fact, this moment happened. August 5th, 1994, a man by the name of Wag Dodge led his team into a wildfire in Montana and found that as he actually went into this fire, all his options closed up. His team looked to him to find a response of how to actually respond in the moment. And in this moment, when they found out they had no more options, they reacted the way that they had before. Some of them fought, some of them ran, but not Wagner Dodge. Wagner Dodge actually did something different. He actually survived this fire because he didn't rely on his instinct. He didn't do what he had done before. As a matter of fact, he did the opposite of what the rest of his team did. If you're very curious what Wagner Dodge actually did, is he took a match and he actually lit it, threw it on the ground, charred all the grass, took the water, poured it all over the fire to take it out, then doused a handkerchief full of water, laid completely on the ground, and let the fire pass around him and over. On August 5th, 1994, Wagner Dodge was one of the people who actually made it out alive. Between this fire, between the chaos that was around him, 
because he did not react as everyone else reacted. He reflected, and then he And it's a moment in history that people still remember. Now, when we reflect, and I really appreciate the comment that was just made a little bit ago, when we reflect on where we are at this moment in history, we are also in a moment that people are going to remember. We are going to be remembered for how we reacted to this time and place in a moment where we have encountered very unexpected things. To name a few, a pandemic, a racial awakening, political tension, family divide, decision fatigue, all of these things have happened in the moment for us. And one of the questions is, in a world where everyone is active right the question for you is, how are you going to respond, react in this moment in time? Now, one of the things is we are very fatigued from hearing bad news over and over and over. And it's made us very reactive people. We react the same way that everyone else has reacted with in society. But the good news, the news of why you should consider God, is that God in the unexpected moment can actually reveal and do something if we're able to reflect and see what God can do. That in moments of reflection, God can actually share something that is meaningful with us in the most hardest of moments or the unexpected moment. But first, it begins with can we see the moment and can we seize that moment? If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to that passage that I just read. Mark 1, starting in verse 14. So Mark steps on the scene, and he's telling you the story about Jesus. And when he tells you about Jesus, Mark wants you to know Jesus starts out of the gun telling this announcement about the kingdom of God. Basically, this reality, God's intention, what God intends and desires and wills for the world. And Jesus says that you experience that life by sharing in the life with Jesus. But then Mark tells you when he makes that announcement, he doesn't start with going and making a lecture about it. He doesn't go to the philosophers of the day. He starts with some good old boys that would have enjoyed wearing some Cabela's gear. Okay, He starts with some fishermen. Now, if you've ever done the act of fishing, I know we really care about fishing here, so I want to tread lightly. If you've ever done the art of fishing, one of the ways of doing it well is you are doing the same thing over and over and over again, patiently. It's exciting, it's exciting, but you're doing it over and over. Do you get the point? Over and over again. And Jesus starts with a couple of people that have been used to doing something over and over and over again and says, I want you to be a part of sharing life with me, which starts by turning in a different direction. And doing something different. That's what the word repentance means. Just turning a different direction. I know Tim covered that for a couple of weeks. Just turning a different direction. Trying something different. And when Mark addresses them, he's super subtle, right? So like Mark is like, he's got to be an Enneagram 5, okay? 
He just he does not use a ton of words. Okay, out of all the gospel writers, it's going to be very quiet. Okay, think like a Mark Merker personality. You know, just not a ton of words. He gives you two details, very specific in the text. Now I want you to catch it. In verse sixteen, he says, "As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew casting a net into the lake." Hold on to that. If you move to verse nineteen. Without delay, he called them, and he left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay, you don't have to watch the fishing channel to know what's happening here. If you know anything about fishing, there is something very different between someone that's fishing with a net and someone that's fishing with a boat and hired men. Mark is winking at you when he tells you about this. He's in essence saying the invitation of God is for those who know and feel like they have everything, and for those who feel like they have nothing. That the invitation of God is for those who seem to have everything and for those who seem to not have everything. If you're new to church today, one of the things that I'd like to let you know is that we have confused things in the history and the past and have sent very mixed messages. But one of the things about the message of God that's brought through Jesus is that you do not have to have anything to be seen or invited into God's kingdom. You do not need to know jargon. You do not need to know a past history. You do not need to know how to do church to be seen and invited by God. And the inverse is also the same as well. If you seem to have everything, if you come here this morning and you have received every invitation you want, you have the means to everything you want, you have enjoyed your weekends, you have the ability to do whatever you want to do, but you still have that feeling deep inside. If I feel like there's something, the invitation of God's kingdom invites me. That there's still something that is missing and something that you can enter into. And Mark starts with the couple of guys and gives them an invitation to do something different. And it all begins with their reaction. You notice they drop the nets, they drop the boats, they drop what they have been doing and they enter in. In essence, if you want to take up the invitation that Jesus offers, it begins with leaving. That leaving precedes following. That it is a part of the deal. Have you ever noticed, if you walk through the Bible, all the time, there is a trail that's left behind Jesus. People are always leaving things everywhere that they go. Boats, rocks, social circles, jars, tax booths. There's always being something left behind. If you followed the trail of Jesus through Scripture, you would notice that there would be things that would constantly be left behind. Why? Because entering into that relationship involves leaving. Not for the sake of just leaving, but making room to actually experience something different. So I have a, I have a friend up north uh, who pastors for a church, and one of the things that uh, he says Christians are always really good at for the church that he pastors uh, is he says they're always good at leaving trash. He said Christian trash is always the best trash because right after a service, 
he can walk around and he can always find trash that's left in the auditorium afterward. And he goes, I used to resent it, but now I love it. And here's why. He said, every Sunday after a gathering is done, I love walking around and I just like seeing, what do people leave in this auditorium? He's like, you will actually find some very random things that people actually bring to worship. Things like tape measure, box of cookies. He said one time he found a full set of clothes. Don't know why you need to change during service, but here we go. And he said his favorite Sunday, his favorite Sunday of picking up the Christian trash was one Sunday he walked by and he found just the smallest baggie of drugs. And he said every time he tells this story, there's always one of two reactions when he talks about finding this small baggie of drugs. The first reaction is a very critical reaction for someone to be like, how dare someone bring that into this space. But the second reaction, the second reaction is one that says, how brave that someone would bring something that they cope with and leave it there after they encounter God. One of the members, as they left the baggie of drugs, they didn't leave it, they, they took it, but... When they left it, one of the members as they were leaving that was helping clean that day said, I guess someone took the words of Jesus very seriously. If you want to know how to follow God seriously, it's about leaving. If you want to know, have you committed your life to this thing? Have you engaged this thing? If you feel like your faith is so stale right now, one of the things to do is to look behind your shoulder and ask, what have I left? Not that I just leave to leave things, to be able to have this legalism that says, look at all the things that I've done and I've left to be able to do this, but ability to say that I have actually departed, that I've changed, that I've been brave to look back and say, you know, I think, I think I'm going to leave this in my life. And sometimes we make this to be something that's super dramatic, like we have to absolutely leave these massive things in life. Sometimes it's not drugs or a net, but sometimes it's just safety nets that you've got in life. Just the different things that you have that you used to cope with life, the things that you do to be able to just depend on other people, the things that bring you comfort, things like social circles, all of those things are things that are worth considering leaving if you entered into this faith. Following Jesus is brave work because it's leaving work at some point. Now before this sounds distant or discouraging, I want to highlight something when it comes to Christians talking about. Because sometimes this can almost feel like a we look at this moment in Mark 1 and we're like, well, I haven't I haven't, I haven't left anything like that. I mean, you know, let's be, let's be honest saying, I got bills to pay, I got kids to take care of, I got a job to be able to figure out, and I'm not doing this dramatic leaving of things. And sometimes it manifests itself in something that's really deep. And one of the things I want to encourage you with is that the invitation of Jesus, leave and experience something new and different, is one that's always personal to every person. That Follow me is a personal statement. If you look at the text, 
Jesus uses 13 words, and these guys leave their entire life, okay? The invitation is actually just three words. I know some of you, you're thinking, 13 words? I don't even change my insurance policy with 13 words, let alone my life trajectory. So you're going to need more words than 13 of them to change my life. And one of the things about Jesus is it's an invitation to personally take really small steps every single day. Here's one writer put it that I think is so helpful. The great secret of the spiritual life is that you already know the little steps even if you don't know the big ones. You don't need to know the big steps to take the little steps. You only have to take one step at a time. For example, we could say, you know, I'm not going to speak about that person that way anymore. And I'm not going to gossip. This is a little thing, but nobody notices it. We still don't like that person, but at least we're not going to say bad things about them anymore. And then the next step, might be some of you laugh because you're like, that's my life. The next step might be that you smile at them. Then we invite them over. And then before we know it, we are friends with them. If we look back, we see it was a long journey of small steps along the way. Life with God does not have to be these massive leaps as much as it is an everyday relationship of what are these small ways that I can leave, that I can turn and move towards God's ways instead of my own ways. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about finding a moment. I would define it as this. A moment is an opportunity to turn away from your way of doing things and turning towards God's way of doing things. To say, I've run, I've operated my life this way, and as I encounter how God operates, I'm going to turn and move that a different way direction. Let me tell you about the beginning of marriage for me. God knew exactly how to work on Zane in the very early part of my marriage. <laughs> so if you've got some years on you, are like, oh, you don't even know. You don't even know. Okay. Uh, we always refer to this moment as the tropical smoothie moment in our marriage. We always reflect on every time that we have to do a marriage seminar or something like that. I, oh, I know the stories. But it was a very transformative moment for me. I remember one of the things that I thought really good Christians did is I thought that really good Christians stuff down what bothers them. And I don't know where you stuff it down to, but if you stuff it down hard enough, it'll just disappear. Okay. And one of the hardest things, transformative things about marriage is it brings out all these realities that are not true whatsoever. And I remember we went together, my spouse and I, went to the restaurant together to Tropical Smoothie, which is just a shame, right? Because like Tropical Smoothie is supposed to be a good time, all right? You're, you walk in, the sign says it's paradise. Okay, there was trouble in paradise this round. I came to this restaurant, and I remember that I had pushed, and I had pushed, and I had pushed, and finally my spouse said something that made me snap. And I'm not talking a light snap. I'm not talking the, ooh, that was a lot... I'm talking a snap that everyone in the room felt. Like one of those where you're like, oh, what? I know I'm not supposed to look right now, but it's such a scene that I want to see what's happening right now. Like one of those moments. I remember that I just reacted. And I remember my spouse in her grace. I'm, she's the better half, y'all. You, you saw it in the videos. It's so true. 
I remember that she reacted with such grace. As I stood up out of this reaction, my wife did not raise her voice. She did not match me. All she did is she said, whatever you've been telling yourself and whatever you've been pushing down is not true. Now, would you sit down and have a conversation? And I remember in that moment, A, feeling like the smallest husband alive, but also thinking in that moment, this is what these moments are about. They're the moments of encountering who you are and seeing a small invitation to say, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave that reaction. I had developed, I had woven, I had formed myself into a type of person that was unhealthy and reactive. And part of the process of following Jesus is declaring when you are going to leave something. Now, I did not, I still struggle with that today. But I took small steps. I walked away from any time I interact with my spouse. I'm not going to interrupt her. I'm going to let her finish. I'm not perfect at it, but I now know that I'm going to bring something up way before I push it way further down. It's a small step process of taking small exit and leaving over and over. One of the core values of our church is we have said we want to be brave people. To be brave people is to be people who are willing to leave. That we're willing to make these small exits in our life to be able to discover what God has for us. My question for you this morning is what would it be like for you to leave in small ways? What if in the next moment when your kids reacted, you left the way that you usually react and respond to them? What if this week at work, you didn't take the credit, but you left that persona and actually gave the credit away? What if at school you left the social circle that's comfortable for you to be able to encounter someone else? What if you stopped telling your spouse, this is the way I am, and start saying, this is not the way that God intended me to be? What if you said yes instead of no to being asked over and over to that volunteer opportunity? And what if you were reflective instead of reactive when someone tells you a different perspective that you just brave people leave because when you leave and turn to God's way you get to experience more moments with God last part of the text I want you to be able to see uh it's actually maybe I'm just over there we go uh Mark 1.16, Mark tells you at the very beginning of this encounter, he says, this happens on the sea on the edge of Galilee. Now, for most of us, we can't even point where the Sea of Galilee is. Maybe one of our elders like Ted Neal could help us find that out, let alone know the significance of the Sea of Galilee. Here's one of the things you need to know about Galilee. Galilee, it sounds very quaint. It sounds quiet. It sounds nice. sounds like you'd... Have a, you know, romantic evening with a glass of wine. No, 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 no. Sea of Galilee is where the things are happening. Okay? The Sea of Galilee is the place where people are in the day-to-day grind of life. The Sea of Galilee would have been where there were political tensions. There would have been racial differences. There would have been 
action, there would have been conflict, there would have been disagreement, there would have been the day-to-day life out at the Sea of Galilee. And Mark wants you to know that when these followers hear the invitation of God, it is in their everyday life that they not in a church, not in a special place that they have to go to, literally in their day-to-day work and life that they have. So this is the series that we're in. In the moment, what to expect in the unexpected. For the next couple weeks, we're going to walk through some moments that Jesus encounters because they're very close to moments that you and I are encountering as well. It's a way for us to be reflective people instead of reactive people. It's to be people who understand that when unexpected moments happen, they can be meaningful moments with God. I'm looking forward for us walking through here to find out what this looks like in your day today. If you were passing out communion, I want to go ahead and invite you. Um, The communion hosts are going to be passing out some cards, and here's what these cards are. These are just in-the-moment cards. You'll see the front just has the Siri logo, and then the back has a prayer. And this is just a small prayer that I want to invite you to as we walk through this series to pray to be able to spot these different moments. Now, I have taken this card, and I put it right next to my alarm clock in the morning. I know other people are planning to put this card in the dashboard of their car, or they're going to put this uh, on their fridge and their family's going to say the prayer together. But I want to invite you to take this card, put it wherever is helpful to you, and I would just invite you to pray it once at the beginning of your day. And just see if you are able to see these moments with God in your day-to-day as we walk through. I want to go ahead and invite... um, Dane Champion, and also the Curtises, if y'all wouldn't mind coming up. Uh, I'm going to pray this prayer over this card uh, for us to end service. But I also want to invite Tim and Sandy and Danny, uh, because we're going to finish this service today by honoring a voice and a presence that helped us in the moment and life of this church be able to be prepared and also walk through this time. So I'm going to move out of y'all's way. And then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll do this blessing. So Father, Son, Spirit, may this be the first moment of many moments with you today. May you meet us in the mundane and the memorable. May you move us to reflection instead of reaction. And may you mend our ways back to your ways. May this be the first of many moments that we see. God, may you help us as a church this not be reactive, but be reflective to how you are present with us in the moment. May you do this all in your son's name.